Hey guys, I'm so glad that you're here with us today as we're about to jump into this sermon on the real Jesus, pulling from Mark 8, 27 through 29, when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Now, I thought we would jump into this since on Wednesday night, we talked about this from a study of revelations, but we didn't get the opportunity to fool it, fully cover it from a salvation message, from a who is Jesus to you. We were revealing what John was saying about him on the Isle of Patmos. We were revealing about his, who he is in the revelation of Christ and who he will be in his second coming. But for most of us, he's the guy on the cross. He's the carpenter's son. He's the man that raised Lazarus. He's the one that healed the 10 lepers. He's the one that took the two fish and the five loaves of bread and fed the multitude, or he's the baby in the manger. And as we look forward to our new series coming up, All In, a radical return to Christianity, we need to understand the figurehead of that thought process, the Christianology of that, as Christ is the center of our beliefs. And before I do that, though, I want to say a special prayer for our friends in Melbourne. We want to pray for you and encourage you and say thank you for being faithful and watching us and being a part of these services. We want to say to you that God is with you. He's for you and not against you. And every day we think of you and lift you up by name, by city, and stand and partner with your prayers in agreement. And for all of Australia, we believe in the business of Australia. We believe in the families and the function of Australia. And we believe that this ground is blessed as it is the great Southland of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for all of our partners, our friends, our pod group leaders, both here locally in the Gold Coast and our pastors in Port Macquarie. We say a special prayer for our friend Bobby Smith in Vanuatu is currently on missions and is preaching to those that are incarcerated and helping build relationships in the city that he's now visiting. We just thank God for you this morning. So can you just partner with us in those prayers? And we say a special thank you for all those that decided to join us. Now, let's get into the real Jesus. Who do you say that I am? From Mark 8, 27 and 29. If you would, just go ahead and open up your app and pull that scripture up. We want to put it in front of your eyes as it will be the key text for what we're talking about today. Or open up your Bible. I'm going to be reading out of the Amplified Version. So let's read this together now. Mark 8, 27 and 29. Then Jesus and his disciples went out to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They answered him, John the Baptist. And others say, you're Elijah. But others, one of the prophets. And then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter replied to him, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. Now, when I was reading this for the first time, I began to think about that book written by Rick Warren. I began to think about life's purpose and meaning. And I I thought about a crucial question my grandmother asked me when I was young. She said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I had a various response, and each time she asked me, and some of you might have said a fireman, a policeman, a prince or a princess. But in time, that became a distant reality, and the more important question is, what are you going to do with your life? And that question requires maturity and a thoughtful answer. 
But there is a more significant answer inside of our walk today. And that is a question that Jesus asked his disciples in Mark 8 and 29. But who do you say that I am? The question came in the context of conversation between uh, Jesus and his disciples as they were traveling in the northern cities of Caesarea Philippi. When Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? The disciples answered with various answers and John the Baptist, Elijah and the prophets. But he was not satisfied with this answer. So he specifically turned and in the Greek it emphasizes the word you. But who do you, as is to say you, you right there, my closest followers, who do you say that I am? Despite all the isolated criticism of who Jesus is, one key aspect of Christ is that we must agree is that he actually exists and he was a historical figure. And this means that he's not a legend, he's not a myth, he's not a fictional hero. He's actually someone that lived in the first century of the New Testament, which contains the fullest and most truest version of his life and ministry. But it's also important that we understand that about his nature, that Christ claimed divinity. His, his, his first message was to say, this is who I am. I am the one that has come to save the lost sheep of Israel. And there's many passages that support his claims to deity. Two such passages include the passage in the gospel wherein Jesus forgives sin, found in Mark 9, Mark 2, and Luke 5. But his response was, who forgives sins but God alone? This was the response from the people around him. How dare you forgive sin? And in John 8, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. John 8 and 58. In the next verse, the individuals he was interacting with picked up stones to kill him. And John 10.33 underscores some of the reasoning behind wanting to put Jesus to death. We are not stoning you for any of these but the blasphemy because you are a mere man claiming to be God. They saw him as a prophet. They saw him as a teacher. They, they saw him as the carpenter's son, but they didn't see him as the Messiah. And maybe you see him as the baby in the manger. Maybe you see him as the man on the cross. Maybe you see him as uh, the one that was laid in the tomb. Maybe you see him as those things. But the reality is he is more than that. And I can remember watching that movie a long time ago where it was like, dear baby Jesus, bless this food. And even though I laughed at that, I'm like, he's not a baby. And then I heard a message one time that says, fall at the foot of the cross and kneel and bow before your Jesus. And I'm like, but he's not on the cross anymore. That's just the place that he died. See, I didn't meet Jesus at the foot of the cross. I didn't meet him in a manger. I met him somewhere so much different, a, a place of an abandoned life, of an orphaned son that felt forgotten by the world and met a man that died on the cross for him. But he didn't come as a meek, defeated man. He came as a friend to comfort me. He came as a friend to console me. He came as my Lord and my Savior. And I want to talk to you about this real Jesus today. See, I wonder in that moment, as the man Jesus was being ridiculed and scrutinized with his identity. I wonder if that moment, just like my grandmother asked me, who do you want to be when you grow up? I wonder if that moment Jesus was like, you know what? This is what I always wanted. 
I wanted everybody to pursue me, chase me out of cities, tell me I'm a blasphemer. This is exactly what I wanted to be growing up. But see, he kept going. See, that showed something to me when I was reading the story of Jesus. I was reading the story of Jesus, not just looking at the man that was proclaiming something. I was looking at the man that was proclaiming something. And when nobody else believed him and when everybody put him to death, he knew that he would rise again. When he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he knew that his father would have a working power inside of him that would raise him from the dead. He knew there was a promise. There was a reason for him coming to this earth. Now, you and I could spend hours speculating the theology, and we could study the Bible, and we could spend all sorts of ideas about who Jesus is and what he was doing and what miracles he performed when he was 12. Man, we could become masters of the historical Jesus and what he looked like and what his skin tone was and everything. But at the end of the day, each one of us has to answer for ourselves the central question of life. Who do you say that I am? We need to decide whether Jesus is just a good teacher and, or, as some predominant atheists would say, not even a good teacher at all. We need to wrestle with Jesus' announcement of the kingdom of God and all of its implications that that beholds when John even said it, behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. We need to wrestle about the idea of the forgiveness of sins that Jesus brought on the cross. And then we need to grapple with the meaning of his death and the implications of his resurrection. Only then can we position ourselves to answer the adequately positioned question that Jesus gave his disciples. Who do you say that I am? And the way we answer Jesus has potential to change our lives. If we acknowledge Jesus and his divinity and and as an, an inspired teacher, then we will pay close attention to what he says and we will believe it and live it. If we see Jesus as the Messiah, then we will serve him as God's royal representatives and who usher in the kingdom of God. If we believe Jesus to be the savior of the world, then we will put him in a position of ultimate faith And trust him and rely on him with everything. And if we confess Jesus to be the word of God imminent, the very son of God, then we will fall before him and worship him as we might live our entire lives as an offering to him. Because see, when you answer this question about, is Jesus real, man? Who is the real Jesus, the Messiah? Who do you say that I am? It confronts the idea of how you will live your life. That doesn't mean that you'll be condemned or ridiculed by the kingdom of heaven or by religion or by priests or anything else. No, that just means the idea of a man dying for you will change your life. When the New Testament opens up this idea... It addresses it in a way that's pointed at you, not just, not just those disciples then. It becomes personal. And the person next to you, in the car, in the house, on the lounge, next to you in bed this morning, wherever you are watching this, can't answer this for you. And when the New Testament addresses this issue about Jesus, about knowing Jesus, It's always on the level of personal discovery. It's never about passing on of a report that has been learned from other people. Oh, yeah, Jesus is real. I can remember, man. 
I can remember standing in my um, kitchen, and my, my oldest son, he was, we were doing some type of essay, and God, you know, some type of uh, homework assignment. He was, I think, you know, he was 13 at the time. And I just looked at him, and this impression came on my heart from God to just look at him and go, uh, do you believe Jesus because you believe him, or do you believe Jesus because daddy believes him? His answer was confronting. It was, well, I believe him because of you. And in the next few weeks, my oldest son was confronted with the idea of the divinity of God and the reality of God to the point he went out and asked that question himself, running out the door in the parking lot of where we lived and came running back in the door and saying, God is real. Because each person, whether you're a 13-year-old boy or a 30-year-old man or a 12-year-old girl or a 40-year-old woman, you got to answer this question for yourself. Who is the real Jesus? Who do you say that he is? <laughs> so good, man. So when we look at this question and think about the, this relationship to ourselves, we need to do it in light of what Peter's statement was. Jesus then warned them not to tell anyone about him. Now that was strange. Right after this revelation, Jesus says, now don't you go tell everybody about me. You have the Messiah who just declared himself. And as soon as that declaration of his Messiahship is made known, he says, don't, don't let the message out. Don't let anyone know. Don't tell anyone who I am. And I thought about this because I'm a church planner. I'm a church grower and I'm, a, I'm an equipper and a sender. How can you start a movement if you're not going to get the word out? What are you doing? You know, like you're, you're the son of God. You just asked me, who do you say that I am? We just got this revelation that you're the Messiah. And you said on this Petros, on this rock, on this foundation of the revelation of Christ has come. I will build my church. Now you want us to be silent about it. Well, he was doing what needed to be done. Because the expectations on the part of the, of part of the population were directly related to the overthrowing of Rome. And its authorities. And that was directly related to the triumph appearance and the glory of the overarching wonders of God and his kingdom. And what Jesus had come in, in his first instance was different from. Because see, he had to come as a slain lamb the first time. But he's going to come as the lion of Judah the second time. He's going to come as the king of kings. He had to come as the offering for our sins the first time. He had to come as the reconciliation, the bishop of our souls, the bright and morning star. He had to come as the hope for humanity the first time. But the second time, he's coming as a king. And that's why he was saying, be silent. But see, we don't have to be silent like that because he's went to the cross He's died for our sins and he rose on the third day and now he's seated in heavenly places and he makes intercession for us and he's left us his comforter, the Holy Spirit. And this real Jesus can be real to you today if you don't know him. And so the last thing that I think about when it comes to this movement that Jesus started 2,000 years ago, he didn't need a big campaign and everyone out of Jerusalem rushing out and saying, the Messiah is here, the Romans will be overthrown. That is why then Jesus immediately began to teach his disciples that he, the Son of Man, must suffer many things, be rejected by elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. 
Now remember, no one else can answer for you, who do you say that I am? He has to be real to you. The disciples, once the declaration had been made, were then going to have to try to figure out how to wrestle with the pieces of the puzzles, the dying Jesus fitted into his messiahship. They were going to have to wrestle with the question that you have appeared to us as the Son of God and his love, and the Bible says longs that his love longs to forgive sinners, longs to enjoy friendship with those who have turned their backs on him. If in his love he longs to do that, and yet at the same time, by his law, has to judge, he cannot ignore our rebellion of sin. And this is where Jesus becomes real to you. That our, that our wrongs needed to be dealt with. Humanity's wrongs needed to be judged. And how could he display his love, but at the same time execute his judgment? And this is where God shows his character. This is where many people have wrestled through the ages of religion and time. They put Jesus on a cross, but they kept God as a judge. You can't put our elder brother on a cross, have him die and rise again without realizing the father that allowed that to happen for us. The father that had the power to raise his son from the dead, but also raise us along with him. You can't see God's character as a judge anymore. You've got to start seeing him as a father. And through Jesus, you can see that because when you answer who do you say that I am? For Jesus, you have to also look at who do you say God is? And he's not the judge. He's not the policeman. He's not the lightning bolt thrower. No, no, no. He's our father. And like any father, he provides for us. He makes a way for us. And when things are troubling in life, he gives us wisdom and authority and power to overcome it. And through our testimony, lead people out of the same trauma and trouble. Man, this love, this question of how can he show his love and execute his justice at the same time is a great thought. And the answer to that is the cross that Jesus died on. The cross is the emblem of the Father's love. Jesus is the one who bears the Father's wrath. If he were simply to excuse sin and let, it, let us off and let it go, he would not be true to himself in his perfection and holiness. Therefore, sin must be punished. The price must be paid for it to be settled once and for all, for the case to be dismissed. But because of this magnanimous, unbounded nature of his forgiving love, he executes his, his justice through his son, so that those who deserve that judgment would find that son and their forgiveness and his love made manifest in their life. And then it would become very wonderful. This question wouldn't be so daunting. It wouldn't be so troubling with the real, G real Jesus, please stand up. What religion should I follow? And the question of who do you say I am could become joyous like it was for Peter. Oh, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the, the one who bears our punishment. You are the one who expresses your love and invites us to come and take place with him in heavenly realms.
But do you know what's most remarkable about what I and my colleagues do, preachers and ministers of this gospel dispensation, about these little talks like today? Do you know what the Bible says about this conversation and what I'm forced to believe about this sermon? That somehow in the mystery of God's purposes, God speaks by his spirit through his word through my lips. So that God makes his appeal to you through the lips of a mere mortal man. Preaching and, and giving sermons like this, speaking to people in this way, expecting that there would be a life-changing response in anyone is almost completely bizarre when you think about it. I mean, preaching, talks like this are not just difficult. The task is not just challenging. It's impossible for mere men. There is no possibility of me being able to marshal the English language to produce order, reason, thought, or to urge upon you right now by dint of personality or any other form of influence, anything that can do any solidary thing in your heart and mind to cause you to declare with Peter, oh, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, that you would answer, who is this Jesus? That, that I... This mystery of God, that his spirit takes this mortal mouth so that the salvation of one man, one woman depends on the voice of another. So that when I say I beg you, as Romans talks about, by the mercies of God, be reconciled to God, I mean it. That this call to you today to recognize Jesus is more than just a figurehead of Christianity, an emblem on a, on a keychain, a, 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 a cross on a necklace, a statue in a city, that you see him as the savior of your life, the bringer of abundance, the victor for your soul. Now, I may not know you all, but I know that in any kind of company like this, we have skeptics. But God is able to deal with your skepticism. And that any type of company like this has a significant representation of sexual promiscuity and people whose lives are held in grip of stuff that they long to be freed from, God's able to deal with that too. Because that's who the real Jesus is. And he was sent for people like you and I. And in a company like this of significant numbers, both here and online and present and by phone or through computer, that frankly, in any company like this, there'll be self-righteousness. And in listening to what's being said is already marshalling arguments against the prodding word of the loving God. And in a company like this, it has people that have been tyrannized by a sordid past and the consciousness that drives them virtually insane by, you don't know what I did last summer. You don't know where I came from, Pastor. God can deal with your past because he's right here loving you in your present. And here in the majesty of Jesus, here is the case of Christ. And the answer of all of that and more. And so my word to you, which is the word of God for each of us, is cast yourselves upon him. Declare with a flattering tongue if you want to, but with a tongue nevertheless, 
You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And remember, no one else can answer that question for you. Not your neighbor, not your mama, not your daddy, your uncle, or your grandma. Not just going to church makes you a Christian. But what makes you a Christian is remembering this one thing. I say that you are the real Jesus, the one who saved my soul, gave me hope for today and every day of my life. This is my Jesus. Do you know him? I'll tell you, my friend, as I think of my son sitting behind the audio desk, looking up over at me now, I tell you, my friend, that just as he had that question asked to him, and he found that answer for himself, not through his mother, not through his father, but in a parking lot looking up at the stars. You can ask that same question today. Are you really real Jesus? And I want to know what to call you. I want to know who you are. And you can answer that question and walk into this salvation that God has for you today. And so today, if that's you, pray that simple prayer and know that your life is going to change. And if you've been walking with God for some time and you want to renew your walk with God, you don't have to start from the beginning. You can just simply say, Lord, I want to dedicate my life to you. I've been living my way for a while and things have been okay because you've blessed me. And I've had some turbulence, some ups and downs, some ins and some outs. But I want to walk with you. I want to work at developing my relationship with you. Then all you got to do is do that. You just got to take that step today. You don't have to go backwards and go, Lord, I'm just a wretched sinner. I need you. It's me again, Lord. No, you just simply start working in that relationship again. So I hope today as you've received this message about the real Jesus that you are excited as I am about the possibility of your walk with him. And as we go into our sermon next Sunday, all in, a radical return to Christianity we can discuss the power of knowing him. We can discuss the identity and authority of knowing him. And we can discuss the overcoming joy that will cripple the devil and all of his angels. And we can see the victory of God in our lives. And we can overcome any situation with him as we return to radical Christianity. I hope this has blessed you today. I hope that it's encouraged you in some way. And I hope that you've shared it with a friend through link, through video, through website. And if you would like prayer, all you have to do is call the number on the screen. One of our pastors would love to text you, get in contact with you, and pray for you. Secondly, if you maybe don't want to text, you can send by email at info at worldchangers.life. Make your request known and one of us will respond. But most of all, if you'd like to partner with us today, if you'd like to make this your home church or give a tithe or, you know, or an offering, you can do so by texting GIVE to the number on the screen. If you're here in Australia, if you're from somewhere else around the world, you can go to worldchangers.live and hit the donate button and go through PayPal. We just thank you so much for being a partner in this word today. We thank you for being a part of this gospel dispensation and this revelation of Christ. I look forward to having many more discussions with you about my friend Jesus, your friend Jesus, but most of all, our Lord and Savior. Until I see you again, God bless you is my prayer. Amen and amen.